the spirit has come to us in a different way than the way before. Yes. Each, each week he's doing something fresh. And I think, you know, how, how glorious. So let, let's just keep asking him to, yes. to be different, to, to yes. come and, and touch us in a way that we've never known before. Amen. He's God of such incredible variety. Amen. Yes, of course he is. Thank you, Dave, Tamama. Thank you, each and every one of you. Lovely to spend time in the Lord's presence, isn't it? Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. yes. Let's just come at this time and a word to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we just so adore you. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you, Lord, that our hearts have been opened and our spirits set free as we, as we glorify you, Lord, and as we lift up your name. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to minister, Lord, because without you, Lord, we just a clanging cymbal and, and just make an empty noise. Lord. We need you. And I pray that, Father, you would speak unto us this morning, that, that you would minister to us, that we would hear that which the Holy Spirit would say unto us. Lord, not to, to hear a man, but to hear what you would say to us. Lord, that which you would anoint and speak into our hearts and into our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I must tell you a little story uh, um, before I start ministering this morning. Um, it, it was the most strangest of weeks. Um, as I was waiting on the Lord uh, and just saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to share? Um, you know, I, I began to uh, meditate on a couple of scriptures that started rolling around in my spirit. And um, I must admit, when I, when I started this write, writing this message, I felt like I was not in control. <laughs> I, I wanted to go this way, but the, uh, what I typed would go that way. And I'd look up, okay, I'd, I'd, yeah, all right, Lord. So, and, and, and I tried to flow. And it, it didn't go where I expected it, wanted it. or So, um, you know, I just said, okay, Lord, well, I, I'll see. You know? And I seemed to be going down a whole lot of rabbit warrens. <laughs> God, I'm not even sure that this makes sense to me, you know. So, anyway, I'm just, I'm just waiting. And I, I, just, I would stop and I'd pray over it and I'd just worship. And I, I just had the this, this sense to carry on. And uh, uh, when, at, at the end of the week, when, I, when I'd finished it, I looked at it and I was quite amazed how God had pulled all these weird thoughts, or different strands of thoughts together and into a very comprehensive, tightly packed message. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the story behind what I want to share with you this morning. It, it was a most unusual experience for me. And so if you, you think, what on earth is he talking about? Hold on. Okay. <laughs> it's going to come together at the end. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do we have a mic for you, Pastor? I would love one because my throat is, I was singing so hard, my throat's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Man, I was singing so hard, my throat was <laughs> sore this morning. It was, Hallelujah. Worship, eh? it was beautiful. Just it was wonderful. 
just love the freedom. And, you know, when you guys bring in and bring words, it just lifts the whole thing. So just want to encourage you to continue to do that. And if God's laying something on your heart in the worship, let's flow with it. We want to flow with the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. So uh, as I was meditating upon this, you know, I, I just got in, in my heart that, that God wanted to take us to a whole new level. You know, that, that's what was permeating around my spirit. God wanted to do something different. And, and these words came into my spirit. This is going to be a kairos moment for some. And, and I, I knew from my, my Greek studies that there are two words for time, kairos and chronos. Kronos is where we get our English word chronology from, like a calendar. It's a progression of events. But kairos is a very different word. It means a crucial time. A, a time of uh, opportune moment, or from a military perspective, it means a strategic time. So I felt the Lord was saying, this is going to be a strategic time for some. And I stopped and I thought about that. I thought, that's powerful, Lord. This is going to be a strategic message for some people in, in the house of God this morning. Just like when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, uh, and, and uh, that was a strategic moment in history, because the die was cast. He couldn't go back once he'd crossed the, the river, because he defied the Senate. He had to go through to victory or failure. And so that was a strategic moment in history. Just like when Israel crossed into the Promised Land. That too was a strategic moment in history. If you've been following the, the, the news, you will have noticed that... Um, Prigozhin, the, the head of the Wagner group, uh, has marched on, on Russia, on, on Moscow, and to, to take out the, the military uh, leaders uh, that are leading the campaign in Ukraine. And so, you know, that, that's really like a crossing of the Rubicon. Marching on Russia uh, was an incredibly significant moment. It was a strategic moment. He either has to win or he has to, um, uh, you know, he's going to be in deep trouble. And so, uh, it's really important to, to recognize what these Kairos moments are. They are strategic moments. They are powerful moments. Uh, and I believe that this is what God is wanting uh, to do in some of us. There's going to be a powerful manifestation of the, of the Holy Spirit. And as I'm meditating on this, and this is going around in my spirit, um, Isaiah 55 and 6 comes to mind. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And that's, that's what was really dropped in, 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 kind of quickened by the heart, while he's near. And it, had to, it ties in with the strategic moment. There is a, a moment in the spirit that is going to happen for some. And if we, will, if we can embrace it, uh, it will be incredibly significant. I believe that this is a, a moment, an opportunity, when God wants to do something of strategic value in your life and mine. Anybody excited about that? Yes. A strategic moment in our life. I don't believe this, this, this door of opportunity is going to last forever. We need to respond uh, when God says, and He's saying that uh, draw, call upon Him and draw upon Him while He's near. Call upon Him while, while He can be found and draw upon Him while He is near. So the Lord wants us to have fellowship with Him and to surrender more of our lives um, so that we can learn from Him. So that He can equip us for what lies ahead. Yes. Folks, I'm telling you, there's coming a, a time, and it's not too far off, when the church is going to need to be on its really best. 
There's, there are things that are happening in the world and, and in the spiritual realm where we need to be equipped. We need to be furnished and armored and, and protected. Can you say amen? amen? So God wants to equip us and, and that involves us surrendering more of our time uh, to Him, more of our, uh, our love and devotion. I believe God is pursuing us as He's always done. Remember, He pursued Adam in the cool of the day. Well, now the Holy Spirit, I believe, at this strategic time is wooing the church. He is pursuing the church. And for those that are open, God wants to do something strategic in, in our lives. Because we are the apple of God's eye. We are loved. We are chosen. We are special to Him. And so God is wanting to work in us and do this powerful thing that's in us. This other scripture, there are a couple in there, there were about three of them that really were floating around my spirit. The other one was Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. The Lord hath appeared to me of old, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Just think about that. The Lord has appeared unto me of old, saying, I have loved thee. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God's loving kindness has drawn each and every one of us, I'm sure to say, in this fellowship into the kingdom of God. God has drawn us into the kingdom with loving kindness, with an eternal, never-ending love. God is wanting to do something powerful and strategic in our life. God has loved us before the foundation of the world because we are precious to Him. We were and are precious to the Lord. God has loved us eternally. From before the foundation of the world, God has looked at us and said, You're special. I've loved you and I've called you by name. And now we are in the kingdom. The last scripture that was floating around in, in my spirit as I was meditating on this was Jeremiah 29 verses 12 through 14 it said this then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you in this strategic moment in this opportune time in this Kairos moment we're going to call upon God and God is going to hear and he is going to answer us. I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me. And you shall find me. When you shall search for me. With all, with your, all heart. your heart. It goes on. And I will be found of you saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. That is the Hebrew word Shabuth. Shabuth. And I'm going to explain to you what that means in a moment. Because there's, there's another word that we've translated captivity. And it's not the same as the Hebrew. I want to draw your attention again back to verse 14. It says, I will be found in you, says the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. I will turn away Shabuth. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again to the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. That's the Hebrew word, galah. And galah means to be in exile. So stop and think with me for a moment. What, what I mean, where were the children of Israel exiled from? They were exiled from the promised land. They were exiled from the land uh, from flowing with milk and honey, the place of blessing because of their disobedience. The promised land was a place where God chose for the children of Israel to flourish and prosper. Amen? And it caused the psalmist to write in Psalm 16 and verse 6, Your boundary lines have marked out pleasant places for me. Indeed, my inheritance is something beautiful. Hallelujah. 
How about our inheritance in Jesus Christ? That is beautiful and amazing. But I, I, I want to really dig into this a little bit and, and, and show you uh, what this uh, Hebrew word uh, shabuth means. It, it, figuratively, it means that God is going to restore us to our former state of prosperity. I don't know about you, but I like the sounds of it, you know. He's going to restore us to our former state of prosperity. Other Bibles say, God is going to restore your fortunes. So what is, what is actually happening here? In this strategic moment, in this opportune time, God is saying, I'm going to, you will seek me and I'm going to hear what you say and I'm going to move and I'm going to restore you, you uh, uh, to your former state of prosperity. I'm going to restore your fortunes. I, to, I started to get excited. I thought, Lord, this is wonderful. I'm going to restore our fortunes. Hallelujah. God is going to bless them. So when we seek God with all our heart, that is the proviso. Folks, you can't do this half-heartedly. It won't work. God has said, when you seek me with all your heart, He promises to answer our prayers, to draw near to us, and shabuth, restore to us our former prosperity, restore to us our fortunes. That's what God is saying. If you draw close to me, if you get serious with me, if you start to seek me with all your heart, I'm going to do some wonderful things in this Kairos moment, in this opportune moment that I have for you. So, let's just talk about what's going on in the world just for a moment. We see the world is growing exceedingly dark, but how many know the light shines best in the darkness? Amen. And I believe that this is, this is what the Kairos moment is all about. God is preparing the church for when darkness starts to cover the earth. When the spiritual evil starts to expand in an unprecedented way. God is strategically preparing you and I that we might shine as lights in this dark world and be effective. We're seeing the rise of the occult, perversion of every kind. We see wickedness abounding and, and becoming more and more uh, prominent in politics, in entertainment, in education. Society as a whole is plunging headlong into moral depravity. Can you say amen? And so we see, we see this darkness beginning to spread at an unprecedented rate. And so I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm trying to prepare my church strategically. I want to equip them so that they know how to respond in this darkness, to, to how to be effective in a world that has gone mad. So, what I can say conclusively is this. There will be difficult and challenging days ahead for the church. Are you ready? You know, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 is, is one of the scriptures that God laid Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I believe that this is a moment that God is preparing for us so that we can be effective uh, in, in this darkness. So we need to make sure that we are drawing close to the Lord because there are going to be difficult and challenging times ahead. I was just showed a, 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 a YouTube video I was watching um, about this uh, First Baptist Church, you know, talk about a fundamental church, talk about, uh, you know, uh, 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 what historically has been a very sound church. Um, and they had this gay flag outside. And um, the, the, there was one lone preacher standing on there and he was saying, what's this gay flag all about? And uh, he said, well, we, we, we love, the, we love the, the gays. 
And he said, that, that's great. He said, are you, are you calling them to repentance? The guy said, no. He said, are you teaching them it's a sin? He said, where do you see that as a sin? And, and so he started to quote the Bible. He said, oh, that, that, that's Paul. I, Paul is a homophobe. Paul, is, is, we don't listen to anything Paul says. And I'm thinking, dear God, where has the church got to where the, the first Baptist church can actually be? And then they brought in another speaker to proliferate <coughs> this terrible idolatry and wickedness. The church is entering dark times. What country is this? This was in America. <coughs> Excuse me. No. Yeah. We are living in dark times and we need to be equipped for what, what it lies ahead. Folks, there are people that are going to be sitting in pews in churches today that in six months' time they're not going to be there. They're going to be gone. <coughs> because the pressure is going to come on the church. <coughs> the pressure and this attack of worldliness is coming against every true believer. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not might, not perhaps, but shall. I believe this is one of the end time signs that we're living in. Because Jesus is coming back very, very soon. This is a a strategic moment in the church's history. So, uh, have you noticed how the world tolerates anyone and everyone, no matter how vile and evil they are? You can't say anything against them. Have you noticed there's only one acceptable bigotry in the world today? There's only one thing, only one people group that you can speak out shame and denounce and criticize and run down with impunity. Oh, hallelujah. The devil doesn't like me preaching this message. <laughs> Excuse me. If you could fill that up for me, please. It's just about gone. Oh, thank you, Steve. Praise God. And so this is a, a strategic moment where God is equipping the church because when the pressure comes on those who are lukewarm, those who are mediocre, those who are playing church are going to abandon the Lord. Amen? Amen. They, they will not stand under the, the face of persecution. And so it's very important. We need to... Uh, learn to understand how to be effective uh, and serve God in this time. We're going to need some strategic moves of the Holy Spirit to overcome the things of the world. Can you say amen? amen. Okay, another rabbit trail, but which which will tie up later. I want to ask you a question. Do you have an Achilles heel? What I would like you to do is take down the mask. Thank you, Steve. Take down the mask for a moment and, and get really real with yourself. Sometimes we live in denial and the worst lies are the lies we tell to ourselves. Amen? Amen. And so we, uh, what I'm asking for you is to take a, a very hard look with the power of the Holy Spirit illuminating us. And I, I want to ask you, do you have an Achilles heel, an area of vulnerability? Do you have a place uh, that God has been trying to deal with? Uh, over and over again. A weak spot, you know. Something you know that God has spoken to you about, but somehow it still remains in your life. For many years, that was me. You know, and so, you know, I, I, I just want to ask you, do you have a weak spot? The Bible calls that a besetting sin. 
And it, it really easily entangles us. It's Hebrews chapter 12, 1. It talks about this besetting sin. I believe that the devil will take opportunities with people like that in these dark times that are coming ahead. We need, to, we need to make sure that we are dealing with those. The good news is that Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. That no weapon fashioned against us shall prosper. That the gates of hell shall not prevail against yes. you and I as a church. We are more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ has destroyed the works of the devil. And so I have a chance to break free. I need to break free. I believe we can be free and we must get free. Can you say amen? <coughs> it's time to deal with the Achilles heel. <coughs> oh, thank you. Goodness. Excuse me. Back and forward like a yo-yo. But with that in mind, I would like us to look at the book of Esther. So God planted me finally in the book of Esther, and I'm thinking, Lord, what on earth is this? How's this going to all tie up? I, I, I was really confused. Like Esther or Esther? Esther. 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 Okay. And we're going to start the account in Esther chapter 3. But the, the, first of all, if you're reading it in, in the King James, you're going to be reading about King Ahasuerus. If you're reading it in uh, the NIV, you're going to be reading about Artaxerxes. And you're going to think, huh, what gives here? This is not the same people. And uh, in actual fact, they are the same people. Uh, Ahasuerus is the Hebrew name for Xerxes. And so they're really talking about the same thing. The King James uses the original Hebrew, whereas the, the more modern translation talks about Xerxes, um, and, but it's really the same person. So don't be thrown by that. Now, having done with that, I want to talk about the Medo-Persian Empire. You know, it was one of the most powerful empires in all of the ancient world, probably only surpassed by Rome and, and Britain in the world, um, uh, in world history. At the height of its power, the Medo-Persian Empire spread across three continents, massive continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And from, from the east, it stretched as far as India, and in the west, it was stretching all the way to Greece. And all these countries that were in between. It was a very, very powerful kingdom. An incredible kingdom. So it's, it's worth knowing that. And also knowing uh, about our hierarchies of monarchy. Okay. We have to understand how the monarchy works. Do you remember Queen Victoria? She was uh, Queen of the United Kingdom of, and of Great Britain and Ireland. And Empress of India. If you have an empire, basically speaking, it means you rule over more than one country or people group. And so uh, it, it, a, an emperor or empress is superior to a king or queen who, who uh, rules over a single country. <coughs> that must mean. So the Medo-Persian Empire, stretching from India to Greece and Africa, uh, in the south and, and Europe in the north is an incredible empire. Haman is one of the most prominent characters in the story of Esther. And he had arrived because he had been promoted uh, and made number two uh, in the empire. Haman was in a place of, of power and authority, second only to the, the Persian king uh, and, and of the empire. 
And so I think he must have been looking at himself and feeling rather good about himself, don't you? Yeah, number two in the empire. You know, it's an incredibly prestigious position. He must have felt that all his hard work had finally paid off. He had made it. He had power, prestige, wealth, influence. He was somebody. Especially when you read about in Esther 3 and verse 2, what the king did for him. And it says this, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed down and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. He was a big deal. The king had even commanded that all his subjects had to bow down and reverence him. The last part of that verse, But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. I see trouble ahead. <laughs> I think there's a fly in the ointment here. So Mordecai would not bow down. Why? Because his Jewish heritage told him that he couldn't bow down. That was an act of worship reserved only for God. He could not bow down. He would not bow down. And so people were saying to him, why, why don't you do this? He said, no, I, I, I'm a faithful Jew. I cannot do this. I, I can certainly honor the office. But I, I cannot bow down and reverence him. I cannot worship him. Finally, this got back to Haman's ears. And uh, he, he was so enraged. He was apoplectic, you know, he just uh, apoplectic. <laughs> Get the right teeth in. <laughs> he was mad as a snake. <laughs> he was really, really mad. And, you know, there was nothing you could do to pacify him. You know, it was like Mordecai had really touched something deep inside him. And he lost his joy and he moped around. And he thought, how dare this man disrespect me? You know, who does he think he is? Doesn't he know who I am? I'm second in the empire. And he won't bow down to me. How dare him disrespect me. Haman got so angry that he was uh, wanting not only to destroy Mordecai, but when he found out that, that Mordecai was a Jew and that the Jews all thought the same thing, he was determined to wipe out the entire race. It was genocide. This is far worse genocide than there was in Egypt when they only killed the male sons. Here, he wants to wipe out every single uh, Jew, male, female, young, old, it didn't matter. He wanted to obliterate the lot of them because they wouldn't bow down and worship him. He got angry. And, uh, you know, why? Because here he has anti-Semitism rising because of his wounded pride. Yeah. And now he's going to destroy everybody because of his pride. There's a backstory. You need to understand the backstory about who Haman is. Haman is the Agagite, and uh, the Agagites were the royal family of Amalek. And the Amalekites um, uh, were first mentioned in the Bible. We need to understand, go back to understand that, you have to go back to the beginning. Okay, so Rabbit Trail 1, Rabbit Trail 2. We're going back to the beginning to where the Amalekites are first mentioned in the scriptures. They were mentioned in the Exodus. As the children of Israel were, were leaving Egypt. And as they came out uh, with all the plunder, the silver and gold. Remember they, they, they plundered Egypt. And as they were coming out and uh, were, were on their journey. The Amalekites attacked them for no reason other than. Hey we want the plunder of Egypt. And they were willing to murder men, women and children. Regardless to get the plunder. And there was this great, great battle that took place. It was an unprovoked, it was senseless, malicious, and unprovoked. 
You know, they wanted to exterminate the Jews so they could take the plunder for themselves. It was vile. It was odious. It was murder for gain. How evil is that? The Amalekites were amongst the most evil and barbaric people on earth. And this is when, at this particular time, when this battle was taking place, remember God said, uh, well, Moses uh, said to Joshua, you go down and fight them, and Aaron and her, I will go up on the mountain, and I will pray for you. Remember when uh, Moses' hands were held up, that, uh, Joshua prevailed, and when his hands were held up, the Amalekites prevailed. And so Aaron and her began to hold up their hands. And with that, with that assistance, the, the Jews prevailed over the Amalekites. But it really was an incredibly uh, difficult time. You can find that story in Exodus chapter 17. But the Malachites, the Amalekites provoked the wrath of God for their brutality, their heinous acts of unbridled savagery, along with their other grievous sins. This was an incredibly wicked and evil people. And God swore that he would wipe them out. Let me just say something about this, because often we think, we think how can God wipe out a whole people? You know, God loved everyone. He took no pleasure, it says in the scriptures, that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Amen? But these people were so committed to evil, God saw that they would never repent, that they would take every opportunity to destroy his people. And so like a surgeon cutting out cancer, you may hurt the patient temporarily, but you have to remove the sickness and the disease in order that the patient would survive. And that's what God did. He saw that there was no repentance to be found in the Amalekites. And so he, the only thing he could do from protecting the world to, by being infected with this evil and this debauchery was to exterminate them. And so this is what God said. He was going to wipe out the Amalekites. You know, after they were defeated, uh, they were smarting from the defeat of, of the Jews. They didn't expect that. Um, they hated the Jews from then on, and they hated the Jews' God because he had pronounced a judgment against them. There was bad blood between them. Amen? You can imagine that. Now you understand why Haman wanted to destroy the Jews. Because he was an Amalekite. He was an Amalekite king who had risen uh, um, to prominence in Ahasuerus' kingdom, uh, the Medes and Persians' kingdom. He wanted revenge. He wanted payback. That's what this man wanted. This situation should never have occurred. Um, you know, it, it should never have been allowed to happen. An all-knowing God had tried to preempt this. And if it hadn't have been for the first king of Israel, Saul's disobedience, this situation would never have arisen where uh, Haman could threaten the people of God once again. And so uh, it was really a difficult thing. What did God say to Saul? He said, I want you to go and destroy the Amalekites, destroy them, everything. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 15. God knew that the Amalekites were, if allowed to live, would try again to destroy God's people. And that's exactly what Haman is doing. He's trying to destroy, wipe out, genocide every single Jewish person. God knew it. He knew that was always in their hearts, and that's why God's judgment fell upon them. But, you know, Saul did such a shoddy job of obeying the Lord. Oh, man. We need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of, of partial obedience. 
That's what happened to Saul. You know, he, he goes off and to fulfill the commandment of the king of God uh, to destroy the Amalekites and destroy everything that they have. And he comes back and he, and he meets the prophet on the way. And the prophet says, what, what mean is this uh, lowing of cattle and uh, bleating of sheep in mine ears? You know, he hadn't destroyed everything. And what's more, he brought King Ahag, Agag back with him in defiance of the commandment of the Lord. And as a result of that, um, Saul failed in his commission and he lost his crown. Saul's disobedience resulted in God removing Saul from king. <coughs> and it's ironic that one of the Amalekites claimed that he had killed Saul. Isn't that strange? If he'd done his job properly, the Amalekite wouldn't have killed him, but he didn't do it. And so now Amalekite claimed that he killed him. Hallelujah. Are you with me so far? Yes. Hallelujah. Okay. So, here is Haman and Agagite, a descendant of Agag, of the royal family of the Amalekites. Now you can understand why he wants to destroy. This is the avowed enemy of the Jews. And Agag is now the second in command of the Medo-Persian Empire. Here is the strategic truth that I believe the Lord wants us to deal with. Because we see from this account that if we don't deal with things in our lives, those very things that we didn't deal with will come back to bite us. This is the lesson. Some of us know what it's like to be dealing with things that we should have dealt with a long time ago. Things that we wished we'd dealt with but didn't deal with. And now we're having to deal with the bitter fruit of our disobedience. And so that's a very tough place to be. And so it, this is exactly what was happening to the, uh, the children of Israel. Some of us have learned that the longer you leave things, the worse things become. And I'm thinking in particular of that Achilles heel. The longer we leave those things in our life, the more difficult they become. Because we didn't deal with it when we should have, it's far harder and far worse. The longer we leave it, the worse it becomes. Do you remember Samson's dalliance with Delilah? It first resulted in bondage and then in his death. And that's exactly what happens when we don't deal with those critical things in our life. It results in bondage and ultimately spiritual death if we never deal with it. So it's really important. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying that this is a strategic time when we need to deal with those things that we've let slide for so long. <coughs> time is running out. Christ could return at any moment now. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus could come back before I'm finished the sermon. The imminent return of, of Christ is one of the most powerful uh, uh, scripture stories. So we need to deal with those things. And it says in 1 John 3 and verse 3, Every man that has this hope in himself purifies himself even as he is pure. He's talking about Jesus. We've got to purify ourselves to be pure even as he is pure. Doesn't Peter say, be holy for I, I am holy? He says, yeah. this is what God says to us, that we've got to be holy even as God is holy. And so we need to deal with those times. And this is a moment, a strategic moment, where God is saying, I want to deal with those things in your life. He said, but I've, I've tried all my life. That's why it's still there. How do we overcome what has always defeated us? That is a good question. How do we overcome what has always defeated us? 
the first thing we need to recognize is that we have believed a lie. We have believed a lie. The devil's told you that you can't break free. You've said the same thing to yourself. I've tried over and over again, but I can't break free. That is the lie. That is the lie. Jesus Christ has set us free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Let God be true and every man a liar. And God says, I have set you free. We can be free of that besetting sin that so easily entangles us. God says, I have destroyed the works of the devil. We just got to believe it, receive it, and walk in it. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to believe that all these things are possible. Let God be true and every man a liar. Think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13 there. It says this, There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful not to, to suffer you not to be tempted beyond what you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What's that saying? It's saying that the, the temptation that, that you be struggling with, everybody deals with it in one way or another. It might not be the exact same temptation, but it's the same degree of difficulty <coughs> or somebody else is dealing with exactly the same thing that you're dealing with. <coughs> Excuse me. And God is saying that uh, He's made a way of escape for us. We can and must break free. Because we are born again to be overcomers, to be victorious, and to walk in triumph. That is the whole purpose of the new birth. That's the whole reason Christ comes to live within us. And the more we acknowledge Christ within, the less the power of the devil in our life. Can you say amen? Amen. So when we acknowledge that, hey, I am delivered, I am delivered, I am delivered, that besetting sin is destroyed. I'm born again to walk in victory. Haman eventually convinces the king to pass a decree for the destruction of all the Jews. He got his genocidal wish granted. They were trapped They were held captive in a manner of speaking, and they were about to die. You know, this was a pivotal moment, a strategic moment in the nation's history. The Jews would either prevail or be annihilated. And so Queen Esther, who is a Jew herself, has to go and appeal to the king. But you know the story how that uh, when the king was in isolation, you, you couldn't approach him. And if you approached him while he was doing whatever he was doing, there was only one penalty. If you disturbed the king, you would be put to death unless he held up the golden scepter, remember? And so uh, Esther hasn't seen the king now for 30 days. And she's wondering, I've got to get to the king and tell him about this, this plan um, of, of destruction. And, uh, you know, she realizes that uh, her and all her people are in dire straits. And so she started seeking God with all her heart. She started to seek the Lord so that she could go in and speak to the king so that that they could come up with a a plan that would uh, actually uh, reverse Haman's edict. Esther's life and the life of all her countrymen were at stake. And so she started seeking God 
with her whole heart. I'm sure she repented of anything and everything. She poured out her heart. She cried out for mercy. She pleaded for God for help. She asked and begged God to intervene in her life. And I want to say to you this morning, as we look at our lives and realize that we're in bondage, that there are things in our life that we need to, that God is in us. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We can break free and we must break free. So she prayed and she, she actually fasted and prayed and called others to fast and pray. This is a blueprint of how to overcome the impossible. This is, how, this is a blueprint for every man, woman, or child who really is seeking God with all their heart. You want to get your answers to God. If you want your captivity turned and restored to a place of blessing, you've got to seek God with all your heart. I want to say to you, there are no easy ways of doing this. Can you say amen? amen. You can't do this half-heartedly. She was seeking God with her whole heart, fasting, praying, repenting, calling others to fast and pray. She was seeking God with her whole heart. Remember Jeremiah 29, 14, I will be found of you, God says, and I will release you from your captivity, your shabuth, and restore your prosperity. I will restore your fortunes to you. This is exactly the situation that Esther was in. She was crying out to God. She did. She was seeking God with her whole heart. Did it work? I'm, I'm bridging, cutting down the story so that we, we're not here all day. Did it work? Yes. Amen. It certainly did. God absolutely delivered it. And after the, the deliverance came and, and uh, uh, Haman was uh, hanged on, his, um, on the uh, scaffolding that he bought from Mordecai, I, as I've been going over this story, I thought, man, Hollywood needs to have a real good look at about how to tell a story. It's about pride and intrigue and, and, and also there's so much in the book of Esther. I've read the book of Esther probably about um, 15 times this week and I've been so blessed by it. Each time I read it, I get something more out of it. It's just been exciting to do this. But, you know, certainly after um, uh, Esther had been seeking God with all her heart, God delivered the Jewish people and the, the catastrophe was averted. And Esther and Mordecai and the rest of the Jews were in a more powerful and secure position than ever before. And God's blessing was upon them. When you look at how uh, Mordecai was promoted in the kingdom, you know, he was promoted above the, the princes in the land. And he actually took Haman's uh, spot. He was number two in, in the Medo-Persian Empire. That's how God had exalted this Jewish person. And it began because they sought God with all their hearts. I believe that if we want to go to a whole new level in God this morning, as I close, I want you to think of it. It's time for us to deal with our Achilles heel, with that besetting sin that so easily entangles us. It's time to seek God as never before. This is a strategic moment in our spiritual development. If we want to be delivered from our captivity, Shabuth, and have God restore our fortunes to us, it's time to act. We cannot put this off any longer. And if we do it wholeheartedly, we will succeed where Saul failed. And we'll never have to deal with this besetting sin again. And we will shine as lights in the darkness. Come, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer.
you know, if you're like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way, maybe the sermon's not for you, but for the rest of us who are still trying to uh, walk in the fullness of what it means to have Christ live within us and still working on areas of our life, this is a strategic time. This is the moment. The die is cast. And I believe this is an imperative moment, an imperative decision. So if you have an Achilles heel, if there's something that the Lord has been pointing out in your life this morning, today is the day to deal with it. God says, remember in, 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 uh, that as we seek Him, He will be found of us. He'll answer our prayers. So if you start to seek God with all your heart, deliverance is bound to come. Deliverance. God will uh, uh, restore all the years of, of, uh, that the locust has eaten. He will actually bless you exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask us soon. But it begins with drawing close to God. As we bowed before a holy God, before the Lord God Almighty, and as He's looking down upon us and, and, and looking at us with loving heart, and He desires that we to draw near to us. If you have a desire in your heart to be free, God has set you free this morning. Stop believing the lie. Start confessing the truth. Start claiming your freedom. If there's something you want to change, a strategic thing that the devil has tormented you over for so long, I don't know. I don't want to know what it is. But if you want prayer, I'm going to do what Esther did. I'm going to call for those around us to pray. But if you want prayer this morning to be delivered from your Achilles heel, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody here that God has spoken to? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands are going up all over the place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Praise God. If you have somebody next to you who's raised your hand, I want you to pray for them. Just those who raised, raised their hands. Would you raise them once again? I, I'd like the body to minister to us. So if you'd gather around somebody who's raised their hands, let's pray together. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pray for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. to know what the issues are, just that these folk need prayer. So we don't need to ask them what they're struggling with, just that they, they need your prayers and support. Cry out to them uh, for God's deliverance and help them. Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up my brothers and my sisters this morning that have indicated a desire to... Uh, Lord, to lay hold of the strategic moment, that this is going to be a, a moment of change, a time of deliverance uh, for each and every one of them that have raised their hand. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your hand of grace and glory would be extended towards each and every one of them that raised their hand. Lord, I pray that you would minister to them. Lord, that they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. I pray that they would understand that you've come to dwell within them and that the Lord, the, the lies of the enemy shall no longer rule over them, that they are free. 
Lord, we declare freedom over the captives in Jesus' name. We break the chains. We destroy the shackles in Jesus' name. Lord, we don't come in our own authority or in our own power. But we come in the mighty name of Jesus, that name that is above every name. And we destroy the bonds. We destroy the chains and the shackles of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray for them now in the mighty name of Jesus for deliverance. Lord, from that besetting sin, deliverance, oh God. Father, that this will be a day of liberation. A day that, Lord, they can look back and say, this was a strategic moment. That was the time that God broke through in my life. And restored my former prosperity. So Lord I just thank you. And I pray for each and every one of us. Lord that we would all draw closer to you. Because Lord I believe it all begins with that. Just a closer walk with thee. Lord help us all to walk closer with you. Help us Lord to to spend time. More time in your presence. And to put you as number one of everything Lord. Above everything. And so Lord. We just want to lift up our brothers and sisters before you. We just thank you that this is freedom. We decree decree freedom over them. We decree release. We decree blessing. We decree power and strength. Oh, Father, we declare liberty and joy over your people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Set the captives free, Lord, and we'll glorify you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to continue to wait upon the Lord. Uh, we're going to break bread together. And uh, so uh, just to, in worship and adoration. And so uh, I'm going to ask Maureen if she'd like to, to come up at this time, just as people are finishing off their prayer. Uh, I believe that you're going to have to pray really hard when you get home if you really want deliverance and receive all that God has for you. But Maureen, if you'd like to come share with just a few things that we... Uh, I'm going to break bread together. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to, first of all, pray that the word I have is what the Lord wants me to share. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I bring your word before you. Lord, we honour your word. Your word is powerful. Your word is a two-edged sword. Your word sets us free. Your word shows us where to walk and how to walk. Mm. Father God, we're desperate for an understanding of your word. Mm. And Lord Jesus, you are the word. And we've come to remember you this morning. We remember your death. We remember your sacrifice to bring us home. Mm. Because that's what you're doing. Mm. So Lord, just open your word to to us now, Father. And we thank you for the word we've we've, we've heard today. Mm. Lord, um, just cause that word to to grow in our heart. Mm. It's a seed, Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you water the word that we receive from Robbie today Mm. and that it grows and achieves that which you've sent it to achieve. Thank you, Lord. I wanted to pick up very quickly on what Robbie shared, the first one. Isaiah 55, verse 6. It means a lot to Steve and I. It was in our home church in Tedarab, up on the wall. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
You know, when the Lord speaks to you, he may not speak another day. Don't reject God's voice. When he pinpoints something, we respond then and now. I've learned that that. I've learned that myself. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the evil man his thoughts. We think thoughts are okay, but that's the enemy's foothold into our life. We've actually got to take every thought captive. And let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. What a wonderful promise. Um, when Fiona asked to share, I said, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to share in the Lord's Supper? We, I mean, it speaks to us when we look at the emblem. It speaks of the blood and, and Jesus' body bruised for us. And I felt the Lord saying, what have you been studying? <laughs> and it was um, Psalm 119. I've been plowing through it and uh, taking a bit at a time. But something hit me about a week ago. Um, and it was, for they, the leaders, have made your law void. And isn't that the truth? And that's what you've been sharing today. They've made, this is God's law. This Amen. is God's word. This is God's truth. And the world leaders all around have made God's law void. Yes. Well, it's not void. Amen. It's powerful. It's a two-edged sword. Yes. And it's what the Lord has given to us. And when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, which we're all going through the battle, every one of us. And we think we're unique, and we're not. <laughs> we all go through the same thing and have the same fears and worries. Well, here's our answer. Mm -hmm. And the Lord laid, there was a woman, she was brethren, open brethren. And when I came through to the Lord, her name was Miss Freeman. She came from Timaru, but we met her in Christchurch. And she'd always say, elderly woman, and she'd say, are you reading the word? Are you reading? And I used to call her, Mrs. Reading the Word. Are you reading the word? But it was like a form of brainwashing. Well, my brains needed washing. So praise God, Amen. you know, for the Word of God, because it changes us. And what um, the Lord, and I'm actually going to pray the prayer before we take the Lord's Supper at the end of Psalm 119. But what the Lord laid on my heart today was revelation. You know, the Bible says without a vision people perish. Mm -hmm. And when we, with all the evil, I mean, oh, you just can't get your head around it. In fact, you've got to get your head away from it at mm -hmm. times Amen. or it would make you feel sick. Mm -hmm. And without a vision people perish, the word says. And I believe, this is what God landed in my heart many years ago, the vision is heaven. The vision is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our Saviour, our Lord. And of course the Bible says he's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord of all. He's got to be Lord of every area of our life. As the emblems go out, let me read what um, 
what, a, what John saw. Now remember, John knew Jesus. He walked with him. He was a disciple, it says, that Jesus loved. And it says this, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I love that, because if you were standing by Niagara Falls, you couldn't hear anything else. There's the rushing waters. That's what we've got to experience. No matter what garbage we're, we're hearing out there, the voice of Jesus is going to drown it all out by the So his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, and he's saying this to us this morning, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Here's the power over our life. Man hasn't got the power over our life. God has the power over our life. Praise the Lord. Um, There's just another one here that I want to share. When Robbie, when you were sharing this, was on my heart and it's uh, Jeremiah 33 verse 3 and I believe this is a word to all of us and he's saying this morning call to me which is what you were saying today Robbie call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So much we don't know. Um, I want to pray this prayer first and then I'll take the emblem, thank you, and I'll go and sit down and we can all take them together. But it's, um, and I've lost my place, but I'll find it again. And it was at the the end of um, Psalm 119. But it's a prayer, and it's beautiful. And it says this. As I'm praying to the Lord, I just pray for every one of us. May our lips overflow with praise for you. Teach us your decrees. May our tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. May your hand be ready to help us, for we have chosen your precepts. We long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is our delight. 
let us live that we may praise you. Yes, and may your Lord sustain us. Thank you, Jesus. We have strayed like lost sheep. Seek your servants, for we have not forgotten your commands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. God. Thank you, Maureen. I appreciate that. Instant in season and out of season. You could ask at the beginning of the service. I really, really appreciate your obedience and what you shared. Hallelujah. Dave, if you want to get ready for a closing song, and um, I just want to give you the announcements very quickly. This Thursday at 7.30 is going to be the prayer meeting. And so um, I encourage you all to come along to that. We're going to go doing some amazing things in the pre-meeting. We had a lovely time.